starting with the most extreme diet you can do, which is fasting, which is eating no food. Now, this is not a water fast. We're not excluding water. We're just excluding food and excluding calories. So Bart and uh, Conrad, Fat Guys Who Lift, uh, we want to get Conrad to lose as much fat as fast as possible. And you've recommended to him to try fasting. Correct. But you've also said he shouldn't he shouldn't avoid putting all things in his mouth. He's going to also put like nutrients in his mouth, like like salt and, and vitamins. And, and he's already begun this fast. And so he's going to be able to report on how he feels during this fast. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that the nutrients and the protocol that you've given him has been a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. That he's able to actually do this fast and feel better than if he was eating food, which is absolutely remarkable. So first, let's talk about uh, why you're having him fast, how this is beneficial, and then let's go into the specific nutrient protocol that's making him feel superhuman despite eating no food. All right. Okay. So let's have a look at the biochemistry of what fasting does, and I'll keep it as simple as I possibly can. So when we when we go into the starvation mode, because think about it, our ancestors were in fed state and starvation fed uh, modes, right? So our body has adapted very, very conveniently to being in a non-fed state. In other words, starvation, right? So the, what happens in the chemistry is once the body has deprived itself of glucose, the glucose goes down, so therefore the insulin goes down. Then the opposing uh, hormones kick into gear, which is your growth hormone and your adrenaline. Okay. What these then do, they start using fat oxidization as their primary fuel, which then creates things called ketones and beta-hydroxybutyrate. Now, now what beta-hydroxybutyrate can do as well is it can then increase the process of the BCEAAs, which is your valine, your isoleucine, uh, uh, isoleucine. So the three main ones. Now, isoleucine, uh, or particularly leucine, what it does, it is the trigger that makes hypertrophy, okay? So while you're fasting, the body actually says, okay, we're going to do fat oxidization, but we must at all costs preserve as much muscle as we can because muscle is what creates movement. Without movement, what's the point of living, right? Then we're just a plant. So the process would be then, uh, the body would then start to burn nothing, well, about 95% of your body will burn fat, the leaner you are, the less fat you burn. So if you're over 15% of your body mass index, the body will burn about 95% of its fat and about 5% of that being amino acids. Once you go sub-15, it goes to about 75 to 80% fat, and then the remainder is the amino acids. So we often think that while we're not eating at all, we're burning muscle, which is not true. You're burning fat. The fatter you are, the more fat you burn. So if for those viewers who are now watching are still concerned about that little 5%, we automatically assume that gluconeogenesis comes from muscle. But it doesn't. What it actually does during a fasted state, because of the beta-hydroxybutyrate, preserving amino acids, it says, hey, we've got other, um, other amino acid cells in the body other than muscle. So it goes to the skin first. So it literally starts eating your skin, and then the second is your intestinal cells. It's loaded with proteins. Have you ever seen POW movies and you see the guys coming? Have you ever seen them with excess skin? No. Right? So there's, there's this. So they're really skinny, but they don't have all this excess skin. But when you see an obese person dramatically lose that weight, because they didn't fast, they, there was no reason for the body whatsoever 
to go to the skin and use that as the amino acid source. Wow. Okay. So Conrad, you have a lot of loose skin, yeah, I, right? Yeah. I mean, you've lost a ton of fat already, but yeah. you're left with the loose skin. The, so it's part of the reason why you're interested in doing this fast, not just lose the fat, but also to tighten all the skin. Yeah, absolutely. When Bart first started talking about tightening of the skin, I immediately just lit up and said, this is what has been missing in my protocol. Like completely, like I was... 100% ready to get the surgery and you know if they want to take out a little fat fine go ahead do it um, and I just knew that it was going to be inevitable I wanted to get my body fat percentage as low as I could and then when I just couldn't take the loose skin anymore and even now guys like the loose skin even makes me look sometimes fatter than I am like if I actually compact all this you'll you can see the fat but you can see right here like especially when I hang over like the the loose skin it's to me, it's honestly disgusting. So how many days have you committed to fasting, Conrad? So right now it's 10 days, and wow. I'm open to pushing it all the way to 30. Again, just, I'm going to go off of feel, but really, for the results, is really what I'm after, right? So Bart, what are the different lengths of fasting you've seen? Like, give me an example of a short fast, medium fast, long fast. Okay, so most guys will do a 48-hour fast. In other words, they... They'll have their last meal on a Friday and then they have their first meal either on a Sunday or a Monday morning. Uh, like, and I've done a 48-hour fast a couple times and I look amazing. I, f I feel amazing. It's been incredible. I can't yeah. imagine going longer. So then what Well, you, you're going to go through that stage where the body is going off glucose and onto the ketone bodies. But if you're always on ketosis, then a 48-hour fast is a cakewalk for anybody. But if you're very carb dominant and then you go into a fast you're going to suffer for at least three days. Now, the reason why it is, the penile gland has the same addiction to glucose as it has to heroin. Now, if you go onto the World Health Organization, uh, Organization, if you look at the symptoms of coming off heroin and glucose, it's identical. It is identical in every way. The addiction is so strong because the brain goes, I love glucose so much that it actually tricks your tongue to tell your brain, give me more. Can we use artificial sweeteners to like taper us down away from the sugar cravings? I have tried it with my clients and it never works because artificial sweetener is exactly what it is. It's artificial. Now, do you know what malnutrition is? What Having you... not enough of specific nutrients? Right. And it's predominantly so when we create malnutrition, what we really are is we're mineral deficient. Mm. Okay? When we are hungry, what the body's actually saying, it's not saying... Go eat energy. It's literally telling you to go eat minerals. Okay, so if if the body told you in the scientific way, it says, "Hey, can you go eat manganese, uh, magnesium, uh, copper, uh, uh, selenium?" You probably go, "I don't know what that is." Mm -hmm. Your brain isn't that capable of understanding. But believe it or not, subconsciously you do know what it is. So the brain feeds the message to you like you're five years old, and it goes. Can you go eat me a zucchini peanut butter sandwich with honey on top? <laughs> and you go, hey, I don't know why. I have this craving for it, right? <laughs> and then you go and eat it. Now, we know this to be true because pregnant women go through this, and it's called pica. So pica is basically when you see, ever seen a pregnant woman, they start eating paint chips and all weird sorts yes, of stuff? Yes. Dogs do it too. They start eating stones. Now, what it is, they're looking for minerals. The farmers not, have known this for hundreds of years. This is why they throw these big salt blocks into the field so the cows and the horses can lick the salt because salt contains about 47 trace minerals. It's not very strong, but if you sit there and lick it all day, you're going to get a lot of minerals in you. So when you go through malnutrition, the body's asking you for minerals. And one of the easiest sources of minerals that you could get is actually salt. 
You get the pink Himalayan salts or you get the, the sea salt because the sea salt has more iodine in it, which drives your thyroid. So this is where your body says, while we're fasting, all I'm asking for is my nutrients. It's not looking for anything else because is it looking for energy? No, because you have energy stored. And the energy was stored through evolutionary reasons that in case of the time when we couldn't eat, right? Mm -hmm. Then when we couldn't eat, it's okay because we made provisions for that and that's called the body fat. So while we're starving, so while we're starving, the body goes, I'm mineral deficient. As long as we get minerals, we're okay. But it can use the, the, the fat and it can oxidize fat and a very small amount of protein. You so, know, so there's just something I want to talk about with yeah. my workout today, right? Because this was also something that we had discussed was a workout. And how many days are you in on the fast? Four, this is my fourth day in. Wow. And you're working and, out still. And what type I of have workout? worked out every single day on And the you fast. have to. And I'll explain why this is so important. Now, remember I said to you that the body will oxidize some protein. Now, because the body says, I see muscle as a, 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 as a need, as a reason, it's very important to me, I cannot just sacrifice it. So here is something that's super interesting. When we go into fasting, one of the things that downregulates is our mTOR. Now, we know mTOR is very important in order to create hypertrophy, right? Because it's the one that drives the leucine. It's so important that we can actually enhance this by using things like an anabolic steroid. Okay? So, because the, the, the pathway of an anabolic steroid is through the mTOR, so it can go into the skeletal muscle of the nuclei of the protoplasm. I know I've lost you on this one, but, but, <laughs> but I'm not like I know. <laughs> right. Okay. So, what it does, the nuclei inside the protoplasm, which is in your cell, can synthesize protein at a high rate. So, you get you get more protein synthesis compared to protein degradation or the breakdown of protein, right? Oh, wow. Now, while you're fasting, the mTOR downregulates, so that would mean you'd actually have more protein degradation or breakdown than protein synthesis, all right? Mm -hmm. But here's the part that becomes so fascinating. During training, you actually peak the mTOR back up. Only resistance training can do that. And this is the part where it's super fascinating with the human body. The body can actually partition the mTOR to what cell it needs it. So if you're doing resistance training, only the mTOR in the skeletal muscle cell is activated to synthesize protein. Wow. So it can partition where does it need to, to, uh, to turn on the mTORs. This is what was so amazing is that, again, with the, the training protocol, you said basically a few sets, mm. as heavy as you can, with, you know, within, the, say, the five to eight rep range, yep. and take long breaks to keep my heart rate down. Because something that we had discussed earlier was that if I'm in an aerobic state, you burn fat. Then I'm burning fat. If I'm in an anaerobic state, you burn glucose. Burn glucose. And since I don't have glucose, the, the body would start to break down my amino acids, also my muscle. So when I hit my last heavy set with leg press, and again, I you know, don't really feel very strong right now, but I instantly, when I, when I got up, I felt like, it's going to sound weird, a small burning sensation somewhere around here where I felt like almost, and again, this is going to sound insane, like HGH releasing into my body from the strength training resistance. The yeah. same way, honestly, I feel when I take, a, a, say, one IU of human growth hormone. And I felt it because I'm kind of in, in tune with my body at this point. So I was actually just blown away that, again, that all the information that you were giving me with how to do this and maintain as much muscle mass as possible just 
I, I'm not trying to say that it's anecdotal, like, like obviously my story is just my experience, but the research that you quoted and brought up is one-to-one -one being applied. Like I, so cardio versus weightlifting for fasting. Should he be doing any cardio or should he you, just You can definitely do cardio, but it's so long it's a steady state. In other words, as long as you stay in an, an aerobic environment. So when we are in an aerobic environment, what happens is the body then uses fat and puts it through the mitochondria to burn. And the return on that is the ATP, which is the, the units of energy. So what happens is when we use fat as our energy source, we yield a much greater return on ATP. It's about 35 units, and that's enough for you to, say, walk to the shop and back. You know, you can burn that probably in 45 minutes. But when we start going into anaerobics, now remember, anaerobic is the word meaning without air. Try burning paper without air. It's impossible to do, all right? You need oxygen, and this is the thing. So when we are able to breathe oxygen in, it goes all the way into the liver. It doesn't just go in the lung, it goes through the whole body, right? Now, when you add oxygen to fat, the body will oxidize fat at a higher rate as long as there's oxygen. What happens when you're out of breath? What happens when your heart rate goes too high? You hyperventilate. You're training and you're out of breath. So the body says, I don't have time. I don't get oxygen. So it switches it to glucose 100%. And it doesn't take it to the mitochondria. It takes it to the cytoplasm. But because it's in the cytoplasm, the return on it is terrible. It's two units of energy. And you're going to burn through two units of energy like that, constantly, bam, 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 bam. So the body continuously has to supply those two units of energy. So if you're doing, say, high-intensity workouts, the body says, I need more glucose at a faster rate. And the only way it can do that, we theorize, that it will go higher into gluconeogenesis. Now, because it's going into gluconeogenesis and the demand is great, the body says, I haven't really got time just to get the skin or from the organs. I'll get it from wherever I want. And most likely what it does, it goes into the protein synthesis, look at some degradation and says, we can still recycle some of this and put it back. So you, you're, because gluconeogenesis, if you say it backwards, making of new glucose. So it's looking for it. And if it's readily available through amino acid, it'll take that instantly. Do you think I'm crazy when I say that I think that breathing deeper and breathing more oxygen can help accelerate fat loss and prevent I, I, our body from surging I don't think you're crazy at all. Muscle. I tell all my clients, sink breathing with the push. So if you're bench pressing, breathe out at the same rate. And breathe out till the, until you're finished. Then breathe back in. But a powerlifter, what he will do, you'll see like he'll grab it, breathe in, hold his breath until he's almost at the top and then blows it out. Now the reason why he does it, because it's, the oxygen's in his cell, it's pushing the fascia, which makes it tighter. Grab a, grab a hammock, and if the squares are really big and you put a bowling ball in it, it's just going to sag right to the floor. But if it's a fishnet and you put the bowling ball, it just sits there, right? So imagine oxygen in your muscle pushing the fascia, turning it into a fishnet. It's much tighter. It can, heal, it can yield way more weight. This is why a powerlifter will hold his breath. But we don't want to hold our breath. We want to grow muscle. So if we keep that fascia super tight, the, the muscle underneath literally can't breathe. It can't grow. So a powerlifter, if you look at his leg, it's really big but tight. It doesn't move. And you have a bodybuilder and he's got separations and it flops off his bones because he wants his muscle to be, when it's relaxed, like jello. Why? Because it wants it to breathe and grow. A powerlifter's leg, when he's relaxed, is still tight. Because look at a powerlifter when he starts walking. If he does a lot of heavy benches, very little activation of posterior chain, so it's all anterior. And you see them walk like this, right? They're all forward because all this is super tight and then they try to 
you know, if you've ever gone yes. into powerlifting and then try to do a back squat with your hands in close, you can't do it. Your hands are going further. The more you bench, the further out your hands go when you squat because you're so tight. Right? Yeah, yes, that has been 100% my experience. I know exactly what you're talking about. In right, fact, so, uh, so yeah, breathing, I definitely agree with it that if you sink the breathing, right, with your exercise, if you pull down, breathe out. If you push, breathe out. I said trick D strength, breathe in, breathe out. Honestly, believe it. Do you man. think that Conrad is in ketosis? No, no, no. Okay. The reason why I say that, so the ketosis, uh, you know, the sticks and the breath, while you've been heavily into carbohydrates, the body still uses that. In the presence of excess ketones, it's, that's what the body will piss out first. It's still set up to use glucose. So if there is ketone bodies in your blood, it says, I'm not using ketones yet, I'll pee it out. So these people who go, oh, I'm taking bullet coffee and I'm taking this keto product. Um, I was in ketosis within 12 hours. No, what you did was your body was still burning glucose as its primary source. And the body says, I'm not ready to use ketones, so I'll pee that out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it takes a while. Believe it or not, to be in, in the full ketosis could take up to six weeks. Oh, yeah. And and I've, really, been in, I've been in full ketosis and for nine months at a time. And, and yeah. it's a... It's a very interesting feeling because, again, it, 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 you you get hungry, but the only time that I'm really like hungry, hungry, and the food doesn't satisfy me, is if I'm not after talking to you eating nutrient rich food. So like if I eat a steak, I'm satiated. Yes, it's but the it, most dense food in the planet. It yeah. really is. But let's say he's ten days in on a fast. Yeah, isn't he? completely depleted of glycogen is oh, no because he's gone for the extreme but if you go if you get a person who says hey I'm going to reduce my carbs to 50 grams a day and I'm going to go into ketosis while he's still got the presence of glucose it's going to take him longer to get into ah, ketosis when he's in a fast by day 7 because he's he's starting he just told me he's feeling really fantastic today so he's gone past that three-day period. Now he's switching into more ketones. Okay. He's got more beta-hydroxybutyrate floating through his system, right? And this is what's going to drive that fat, fat oxidization, right? Now, by day seven, he's going to have a dip again. I brought my ketone test strips, yeah. uh, blood test strips. Yeah. So we can actually test your ketones and blood glucose, oh, Conrad. Uh, let's try doing that three times a day, yeah. starting today. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll see the science behind this. Fantastic. Now, the, there's one other part when you go into this, this faster state. Just uh, uh, an, info, an interesting fact, the world record for fasting is 386 days. So that means a human being didn't eat any food for 386 days. Now, a few years ago, I think it was 2014, don't quote me this, there was a lady in the US who did it for 12 months. She was actually clinically obese within 12 months. Because of no food, the body ate the skin. She entered a bikini contest. Wow! And within after twelve months, so, so, so she went from obese to standing on stage. When I heard this story, that's when I said, just mentally to myself, mm. "I'll do this until I see my abs." Like that was literally what just in my head. Do it, yeah. So what's amazing is how good he feels having no food for four days, and this is because of a protocol that you put him correct. on. Correct. What are the nutrients that he needs to be taking every day that he is taking that is making him feel so good and function so well despite no calories? Okay, so the number one obviously is the fat-soluble vitamins because the fat-soluble vitamins is what we call the activators. And what they do, they help absorb all other nutrients in the body. So it's not what you eat, it's what you can absorb. So even if you're supplementing these vitamins or minerals, let's say you supplement salt, 
If your body's unable to absorb it, then it's pointless, okay? So we look at the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Okay, so then you've got your water-soluble vitamins, which is your Bs and your Cs. So this is something that I told them throughout the day, I want you to take vitamin C throughout the day. Not just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dose it in the morning, I'm gonna dose it, no, constantly. You probably can replenish every six hours, but I just said, look, grab a bottle of water, uh, make it mineral water, put some salt, uh, salt in there and then put in some uh, uh, vitamin C yeah. effervescence tablets and I said just sip on that all day and, and this is what was great is that he said when you have enough minerals that salty water will taste disgusting it won't yeah. taste refreshing and that has actually been my experience like I'll have the same drink a giant bottle of it in the morning I'm downing it oh I feel great I'll have a couple sips like oh it tastes weird it tastes funny like I, I don't want it mm. so then I switch to just regular mineral water and I keep sipping on that, and then at a certain point, I'm like, God, I'm, I'm, and I down the same bottle of water that tasted gross maybe three hours earlier. Now it tastes delicious. Now it tastes refreshing. Yeah. So my taste buds are actually almost serving as like an indicator as to where my mineral levels is, like are, yeah, and what the, I need. The body will give you a message saying we have enough salt because. Uh, I have a lot of salt on my food, yeah. but there are some days where I've gone, I've added too much salt. Yeah. But did I, or is that way my body saying, I have enough inside me, yeah. I don't need more. I'm just going to pee it out anyway. Yeah. Okay? See, the only time you need to worry about having, say, hyperamino acidosis is when you've got problems discharging minerals. And that means you've got kidney failure. Mm. Right? So we always get told that high amounts of oxidative protein will cause kidney damage, which is absolutely not true because... Amino is so essential to the human body that the body will recycle the amino acids in the kidney and then puts it back into circulation. It says, I don't want to miss any of it. I will not sacrifice anything. So we get told like, oh, if you eat too much protein, the body will just pee it out. Absolutely not. Because when we eat protein, let's say we eat 20 grams of protein, it doesn't mean all 20 grams of protein is going to be allocated to making muscle. You've got other things to worry about. You've got skin, you've got intestinal cells, you've got your heart. So amino acids are pushed somewhere else. However, if the, if, if the amino acid profile is of 20, including leucine, it says we can drive this to the skeletal muscle and feed it into the site of the nuclei. And then the nuclei then enhances the protein synthesis. So see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. whether you're eating 20 grams of protein, you're not really using all of that. It's actually about 50-50. 50% of that is actually used for muscle. Now, here's the interesting part. When we eat protein, it doesn't get hit our system like this. It trickles in. So if I eat 10 grams now, by about two hours, I've only absorbed 10 to 20%. Mm -hmm. That's literally what I've absorbed. By the time I hit, say, four hours, 50% of my amino acids have been absorbed. So this whole myth about I've got to have protein immediately after training for you know to, to stay for this uh, catabolism... Is a, is a myth perpetrated by the, the, the very company that tries to sell you the whey protein. It's, protein timing doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is being consistent with the protein. Mm -hmm. So if you're having a set amount of protein per day, be consistent with that. Mm -hmm. Now your cell has a limit to how much protein or uh, protein it can take. Once it reaches saturation point, it says, I can't take any more. So if you're gonna sit down at a meal and eat 100 grams of protein, you will not absorb 100 grams of protein. The body says, you know what? On average, we've worked it out for a non-bodybuilder. It's 0.25 grams of protein. In other words, if you're a 200-pound 200 200 bodybuilder, your, your body is able to absorb about 25 grams of protein. Wow. 
But the second you throw in, say, exogenous testosterone, like an anabolic steroid, that equation goes off the table. Mm. Because the only reason is, the way the anabolic pathway works is the same pathways that the amino acid works, the leucine. It goes through the mTOR into the nuclei of the skeletal wall, and it says, hey, now we can actually increase protein synthesis and less muscle protein breakdown, which is the degradation of protein. So it can even recycle that, so you've got protein synthesis going up, and then you've got protein degradation, okay? But it can go back into the degradation and take some of that and add it back to the net. So you've got more protein synthesis again, and that creates this hypertrophy. This is what creates muscle. What about fiber during a fast? Because if I was doing a fast, I would take psyllium husk fiber, which but I, then, doesn't then, have calories. But then you're breaking the fast. Okay, let me ask you a question. Um, is carbohydrates essential, non-essential? Non-essential. Why? Because your body can make glucose from protein if it needed to. Yeah, there is another reason. Is Now, protein is... Now, in order for you to function as a human being, in the protoplasm, it needs long-chain enzymes, right? Now, long-chain enzymes can only come from proteins and fats. It cannot come from carbohydrates. Carbohydrates cannot do it. So, for essential of life, otherwise we wouldn't exist yeah. without these enzymes, right? It, it's so essential that only protein can deliver it and fats can deliver it. Therefore, it becomes essential. And since carbohydrates cannot do it, the body says, I can... If you never eat carbohydrate, I can still make these long chain enzymes because of proteins and fats. However, if you just switched over to carbohydrates, you will die. Because the body says, one, I cannot make protein from glucose, and I can, uh, I can make fat, but I need protein. So the amino acid's gone, and if the amino acid's gone, it cannot make this enzyme chain. So therefore, it becomes non-essential to life. So essential means for life, non-essential means without life. So, if carbohydrate is non-essential, where does fiber come from? Uh, it's a type of carbohydrate. It's an undigestible type It's of a type of carbohydrate. So if it's a carbohydrate and carbohydrate is non-essential, then by extension would make fiber non-essential. So people go, yeah, but do you need it for all this, this, this? Again, fiber is so useless to the body. Think what it does with it. It turns it to shit. How could something be vital to you that the body says this is so abusive i will turn it into poo okay so the argument is about oh um you know uh moving you know my stool around all this because fiber goes into your intestinal tract and attracts water and, and, and it creates volume right so by that also means that fiber can also be the cause of constipation okay now if you look at that what causes the constipation it's always from glucose. So if you took out glucose out of the equation, then you don't need fiber. So you're telling me the reason why you're eating fiber is because you want to eat glucose. And the reason you're eating glucose is because now you need fiber. Now I can think of other things that can push me, you know, keep it clean. Now, so you look at the microbiotics in fiber and there are some and granted it's good, but guess what? Yogurt has way more and it can be absorbed. Yeah, for non-fasting. So, so with mm. fasting, how do you feel, Conrad? How's your intestines feel? Are you going number two during yeah, the day at yeah. all? Yeah, uh, once a day when I wake up. Oddly enough, uh, still even after but, days. Well, because he's oxidizing fats. Fat. So this oh. is not to be graphic. And again, I, when I was in really deep ketosis, um, it would be a similar experience. Not as extreme, but uh, again, I can't believe we're talking about my stool, but. Uh, it's oily. It's just like oily, which is 
as far as if I had to guess, is my own body fat leaving my body because it's three pathways that I know of the body in terms of what fat can leave. Obviously, through bowel movements, urine, or breathing. Yep. Those are the three ways that I know. Salt, liquid, and the gas. So, so you think he, Bart that Conrad's still going to be pooping even a week from oh, now if he's fasting? Totally, yeah, because he still has to oxidization of some amino acids and fats, so it has to go somewhere. And the fiber is not necessary to flush this out. The body can just flush this out without. Well, fiber. let me put it this way: I did a five months carnivore, zero carbohydrates, and therefore by extension zero fiber. I have never been more regular in my life than that. And that was never constipated. I never worked. It was so. It was so fulfilling that if I wake up in the morning, you know, you almost feel that you've got that vacuum effect, yeah. and you, you can't wait to look in the mirror and you go, "Man, yes. I must be looking super lean, right?" Imagine feeling like that all day, even after eating. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. I felt like that when I was on the ketogenic. Diet yeah, also. it just means that your stomach is just so light. Now, have you ever asked yourself why is your intestine, the small intestine, so long? No, I have never asked myself that. Truthfully. Okay. It's, it's, again, it's through evolutionary standpoint because meat is so nutrient dense that the body says, I need time. So it makes this really long, snaky pathway in your body. So when the meat travels along, it has time to feed from it. Now, the way it works is if you look inside your intestinal tract, uh, the lining of it has got these tiny little fingers called the villi. And it's millions of these little guys all along this, 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 this small intestine. And inside there, they've got two pathways, which is the lymphatic system and the arterial system. And how it works is, so when you digest food, it breaks it down into its lowest common denominator, uh, amino acids, uh, fats, which it becomes to the, uh, the fatty acids and triglycerides, and then your proteins, which become amino, uh, uh, sorry, carbohydrates becomes glucose. So the glucose molecule and the amino acid molecule is so tiny, it can go through the arterial network. It then gets sucked up by the villi through the arterial network it gets dumped into this portal vein and then it shuttles that to the liver where the liver, this is so cool, the liver then using the DNA of the liver will look at the construct of the amino acid profiles and says, we're going to scan it like a barcode and it says, hey, we've got, one, two, three, we've got 20. Let's shuttle that off to the skeletal mass, right? And it's like a zipper. It literally puts it all back together and there it goes, there you go. Now we've got something we could use to make muscle. If it goes like this and it's not quite like that and it goes, okay, we'll use this as a cofactor. Let's make it and use it for collagen or make it more for eyeballs or make it more cell line. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's what the amino acids do. Now, if you look at, say, fats, it's the molecule is so fat that it goes through the lymphatic path. It goes, all right, well, it will still get to the liver eventually, but it takes a really long route. and actually goes down the leg, up the leg, down the leg, up the leg. And if you ever wondered why you've got lymph nodes and the doctor says, hey, you're a kid and you go, oh, it's swollen because bacteria sits in fat. Right? Now, if you've got an infection through a bacterial infection, we can use antibiotics to kill it. But if it's a viral infection, it goes through the blood. We can't kill it with antibiotics. Through the fat, we can. So back to the protocol. So he's taking the vitamin A, D, E, and K. Now, these are fat-soluble. They tell you that you need to take these type of vitamins with a fat meal. But when you take one of these vitamins, like a vitamin D, for example, it Mm. is already in an oily solution. Right. So does it have enough oil inside a vitamin that you take that's fat-soluble to help you absorb? Are we actually going to absorb the fat-soluble vitamin? You you will absorb any any fat-soluble vitamin you put in your body. The bile will break it down anyway. Now, the best way you could do it, if you really, really, because the capsule is made out of uh, gear guam, right? Which is what encases the capsule. If you're really still concerned about that, you can actually pinprick it and then squeeze the oil in your mouth. 
stuff. But you before. don't need a lot of it. And here's the thing. If I did a DEXA scan on you right now and look at your mineral density, if I was a doctor and, I, and you were my patient, in order for you to get more mineral efficient, I would actually remove carbohydrates from your diet because carbohydrate is the biggest haul for resources for uh, minerals and vitamins. You take it out, it disappears. It is so powerful, the worst thing you could literally do to get vitamin C in is drink orange juice. It is the worst thing you could do because vitamin C and the molecule of glucose is almost identical and it goes through the same pathway of the GLUT1 receptor that as it goes in, it goes in at the same rate. I'd rather absorb vitamin C 100% than 50% because the pathway is fighting for the same GLUT receptor, right? So why would you then eat vitamin C with any type of glucose? It'd be pointless. And it does this with other minerals as well. As soon as you introduce carbohydrates or glucose, the glucose asks for more minerals and vitamins than anything else. You take this away and you get much higher absorption than you would with carbs. Hmm. All right, and then uh, how about stimulants? Coffee? Coffee's fine. Coffee's fine. How about, how about energy pills? No, actually, coffee would all you need because remember that when, in, when you start fasting, okay, what downregulates is the insulin response. And the second the insulin response is at baseline, growth hormone kicks in and so does adrenaline. So if you use caffeine, you just spike in the adrenaline just a bit more. And it's actually going to create the, the most powerful thing that you could do while you're in and fasted is autophagy. Oh, wow. Now, what autophagy does, now, if we're constantly using a cell, eventually we create what we call apoptosis. Now, apoptosis is the death of the cell. If you ever wondered why we age, because we're, we're always creating apoptosis. So what autophagy does and what autophagy actually means, it's a word that means eat thyself. Okay. So the body says, in the presence of zero food, I will eat myself. So it will go into the cells, and it's like you have a storeroom, and for 20 years, all you've ever done is added stuff in, and occasionally walked in there and took some boxes out. But over the years, you've, you've put more in than you took out, and it's cluttered, it's full. Now you're going to sell your house, you need to get rid of everything. Well, that's what autophagy is. It gives your body a chance to clean out that storage room and throw everything out. And sometimes when we clean out things or move house, we find things like, wow, I haven't seen this before. I was looking for this. And that's what the body does with autophagy. It literally will scrape the walls for any residual amino acids, anything that it could use to burn. Because you've got to remember one thing that, that the human body has to do. It needs to burn to create energy, to create movement. All right, and everything else is a support structure. Your muscles is the very engine that it uses, so it uses lubricants like your engine does. It says, "Hey, we need to make sure it's got a little lubricant, electricity to fire the lights and everything." But why you buy a car is for movement. That's all that the body does. Even sitting here talking, scratching, farting, requires movement. All right. So when we train, we actually we're very, very non-efficient in burning fat when we train to believe it or not it's when we stop training where all the magic happens so a lot of people will do cardio more than they do weightlifting. so they go up there they do the treadmill they hit start and they walk around and they, they look around like, i belong here because i do what everybody else does right but think about when he finishes the cardio does he take the treadmill home no no 
Okay, but you go in the gym and you lift, you lift weights and you're creating hypertrophy so your muscle gets bigger. And as the muscle gets bigger, that is like you upgrading from a scooter to a 1,000cc Yamaha. If you set, let both of them sit next to each other and idle, the bigger bike will consume more gas. Oh, amazing analogy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one for now on. Right? I already have. <laughs> so when you finish training, you leave the dumbbells at home, but you take the muscles with you. Uh, at the gym, you take the muscles with. So while you're watching TV, you are a 1,000 cc motorbike sitting there idling on the couch. Mm -hmm. You will burn more more calories. How about diet soda? Can you do, do that to quench? Like, let's say someone's having a hard time transitioning, and would if, that if it had to be absolute, yes. But you got to you got to understand that what is the stimulant of diet soda? Could it trigger a response that he wants to eat? Because we've done some researches where we've put people on diet drinks and then what happens is that they have the urgency to drink more. It's like, what's the best analogy I can give you? Chewing gum. Have you ever been hungry but you chew gum and then you don't? You go, I'm no, no longer hungry. Because what, what the, the gum does, what the chewing of the gum does, it, it enhances the nitrates in your body. Because the body is getting ready. Your bile production starts to kick in. Your cardiophyxis starts to open up. So it's waiting for this food. But just kind of you tricked it. Like, no, I'm chewing gum. I'm not swallowing this. And the whole body says, they go, now this also could trigger more hunger. So diet drinks, we've seen it in people. Even though there's zero calories in it, it is actually making people fatter. Because when they eat, they overeat. Because they've been drinking diet drinks, which has been telling the brain, like, food is coming, but it's not. So now when there is in the presence of food, the body goes, I'll, I'll eat more. I'll, I'm way more hungry than I thought. So is diet, will it break the fat? No, but it could make his willpower go down. I think it would be different for two different types of people. People who have a normal, not without an eating disorder, people with an eating disorder. So totally. I, I think I do have an eating disorder. Yeah. I think for me, having something like a diet soda or chewing gum would actually help because it's tricking the psychological part of eating the food. Right. Kind of it, like yeah, it could, it could go both ways. Yeah. Smoking a cigarette, they suck yeah. on something yeah. that kind of say, satiates that, that urge. Mm. Uh, it, because I'm not, I don't get hungry because my digestive system, my body says it's hungry. I always get hungry first psychologically. Right. So I don't, do you have an eating disorder still, Conrad, at all? I, okay. You must have before so, we got super yes, fat. Yes, 100%. So th this is what I would say as far as eating disorder. What, what I have found, and this is just first off background, um, I am a full-fledged alcoholic. I haven't drank in seven years. Okay. So in my mind, and understanding the dopamine response, the neuropathways, and this is all research that I did on my own, um, the way sugar... And even glucose to a certain extent, because sugar, glucose, carbohydrates turn into glucose, the way it hits the brain is the same sort of neurotransmitters as, say, drinking alcohol. It's the same sort of dopamine response with carbohydrates, right? And it's sort of an irregular evolutionary response. Like, we didn't necessarily have alcohol back in the day, <laughs> you know? So for me, when I start to introduce, say, candy or carbohydrates or things like that, I notice that the food starts to get out of control, mm -hmm. right? Not in like for weeks or months, but like in that sitting, I might eat say a half of a pizza, right? Or three quarters of a pizza, a large pizza, right? And have no problem doing that. But then the rest of the time, if I'm say eating a steak, I'm eating like a normal proportion size steak, like eight ounce steak, six ounce steak, 16 ounce steak even. So for me, I, and this is just me, and again, with my particular, say, background and me maybe screwing up my brain and body uh, for the three or four years that I drank, I do 
when I say have sugar, it's not a normal response. I want to eat more, mm -hmm. right? Because that dopamine triggers and my and, brain and fires these cravings off. are all completely gone now. You've sort you've sort of breaking broke yeah, the carbohydrate yeah, with, with the fasting, especially. Yeah, and and honestly, when I was in ketosis, eating like the appropriate amount, like eating my meal prep, no problem whatsoever. When I would eat carnivore, eating eggs and steak, I didn't want to eat a whole box of eggs. You know what I mean? After like a few eggs, oh, I'm good. I'm satisfied. So, so perfect to transition into what diet should you do after. Fats. Okay, because if he jumps into carbohydrates, he's going to have crazy craving. Yeah. After this, you so. see, the, the thing is, like, if we look at, if we go right back to as far as 200 years ago and how we actually dealt with obesity then, because 6,000 years ago, everything changed. 6,000 years, agriculture came into it. We started processing food. By the time the 17th to 18th century comes around, we were already having cases of obesity. It wasn't as common as it is today, but there were some, and these people still wanted to lose some weight. So back in those periods, we were looking at saying, well, because uh, the way we thought oxygen was delivered, that it would only go into the lungs and then back out. We didn't realize back then that it would go as deep as into the liver. So we did the old, thermo, you know, the law of thermogenics is like energy in, energy out. But it just doesn't apply because that's an engineering principle and we're a biochemistry. So we've got all these hormones. So back in those periods, what they used to do was say, we're going to run you really on high in fats. We're going to run you high in proteins. And there is no limit to the amount that you could eat. Because fat is so nutrient dense, you create a lot of satiety. So you may think that, oh, man, I'm going to kill this these eggs. Like I've got a dozen eggs. And you hook into it. And suddenly you go, you know what? After about four or five spoons... Your body will tell you that's all you need to eat. But with sugar, because it's so quick burning, there is no off switch. You just go keep eating, keep eating, you can keep eating. And the, the, what's, the what part of sugar makes it so evil is that because it's such a quick using fuel, within half an hour, you want to eat again. But because the food is so dense with, say, fats, one, it travels much longer in your stomach, your satiety can last three, four hours. So when I did my carnivore... There are times where I would wake up and would smash 15 whole eggs. There are other times where I would struggle to get eight. I'd be eating and I'm like, you know what, I'm done. So for someone like him, I would not put any caloric restrictions onto him. Because for me, that puts him into a diet phase. Now that means there is a starting point and an ending point. Okay, And I don't want to do that. What we're trying to do is relearn him a new habit. So if I said to Conrad... We're going to put you predominantly on fats and proteins, but you can eat as much as you want and as often as you want. Let your body tell you when to eat and when not to eat. And this is probably the best source. And if he goes, say, after a period of that and then starts looking at carbohydrates, you've got to look at what type of carbohydrates to introduce. For me, after I did my fast, I remembered that it was my son's birthday. I had cake, and I tell you what, I felt absolutely miserable. My heart was pumping, beating so hard because I had this huge influx of this processed sugar. For five months, my body didn't have any type of glucose. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just dumping a truckload of it in. It got to the point where I actually thought, did carnival ruin carbs for me? <laughs> it really did. I thought, is that, is that it? I'm, I can never enjoy carbs. Because let's be honest, carbs is delicious. Yeah, yes. I mean, go out in a shopping center, and it's all carb-driven. Yeah. Oh, Wendy's, Pizza Hut, Burger King, bakeries, ice cream parlors. It is all glucose in your face. Yeah. And, and, you know, even sometimes you don't even expect it. I remember going to IHOP, like, I'm going to order an omelet. And then I, luckily they have the nutritional information in America, and I look, and I'm like, 
28 grams of carbohydrates from a bacon cheese omelet? And then I, I like, hey, is this? They're like, oh, we put pancake batter in it. So even when oh, you think... Oh, that's why the omelets are fluffy and bigger. Yes. Just by having so few eggs. That's why I you, always wondered that. Yeah. So they, that's they sneak why everywhere. Yeah. you think you're... And, oh, and the, the thing that blows my mind, and for anyone who's doing ketosis, I'm like, oh, cauliflower crust pizza. Check the macros. Oh, 78 grams of carbohydrates and half of it. You're out of ketosis. And, and you've now switched that switch back on to can keep consuming carbohydrates. So the mineral part of the protocol, how much minerals, what minerals, okay. and how often so is he taking them? What I said to him, imagine if you're the sort of person that was eating four or five meals a day. You have a meal at eight, meal at 12, meal at four. Instead of having that meal, make, I told him, make a concoction, apple cider vinegar, a teaspoon of salt, and warm water. I said, that is now your meal at 10 and at 12 and you know whatever it is. Start off at those bases. Eventually what happens, you'll have so much minerals in your body that you'll start skipping meals. Mm. You know, like, hey, you know what? Normally I have a meal at 12, which is now realistically, you just this little concoction. You'll start missing it because once you have enough minerals and vitamins, your body will literally tell you, I don't need any more. Because even if you gave it more, the body says, well, I'm just going to pee it out. You know what's so funny? It's, I, because this is half, like, in real time, right? Like, I'm giving you the updates as this is actually happening to me. Mm. Um, I took a couple extra multivitamins before we started all this, right? And I actually feel, which makes no sense to me, full. Like, I actually, like, I, I don't feel bloated or anything, but I actually feel, like, good. Mm. I, I don't know, how, like, how else to describe it. So, so how's he getting enough uh, magnesium, let's say? Because magnesium okay. is something that... It is, yeah, it's, very, it's very important. So this is one of the things I told him that what he needs to supplement is his magnesium and his potassium and then also add the salts. This is how we need to supplement this while we're on the fast. So okay. you do need to do supplementation. Now, when that guy did it... Uh, uh, now, I believe this guy did it in 1964 when he lost over... Uh, he did it for one year. He was guided by the doctor and what the doctor basically did was set out his vitamins and minerals protocol now interestingly enough what he didn't do is introduce potassium straight away because as you know a high doses of potassium will kill you because yes. lethal injection is potassium right mm -hmm. so what he did he, he he monitored his patient and he kept feeding magnesium kept feeding all the, the, the essential minerals the only thing he kind of staved off was the potassium now once he started doing blood work he started looking for the serum levels if they were starting to go down only then would he introduce the potassium and he would regulate the potassium and he did uh, interestingly enough he did the same with vitamin d because vitamin d has a life cycle of 10 weeks so if you're constantly taking it every day you start compounding that vitamin d so the, the even so let's say for instance if uh, the sailors are going to nuclear submarines what they do they do a 25 hydroxy vitamin d test before they go down and that tells you the serum levels of vitamin d in that person and then each person will get that and then the, the the physician on board will then calculate how much vitamin d to supplement him once a week rather than saying here's five thousand i use daily go for that no he would literally then say every week okay your 25 hydroxy was this so we just need to supplement say 10 15 20 000 i use once a week just to keep that up so these are the two factors he was looking for so potassium is something later on that we will introduce now there's two ways you can do it feedback is the best you could say, like, oh, I'm in the gym, my muscle pumps are, are really gone now. Um, I, I find that my breathing is becoming a little more regular, so uh, I get more cramps. 
So this is now controlled by the magnesium because magnesium regulates potassium and potassium regulates sodium. And now if you've got high blood pressure, we always immediately go after the salt factor, but we can reduce high blood pressure by bringing in more potassium because potassium is a ratio of one to three. So what happens is as the potassium goes down, the sodium will go down. And the body says, I need sodium. So what it does, it tells the adrenal glands to shut off the uh, aldosterone. It tells, tells the kidney, don't get rid of any more salt. So it shuts it off to preserve salt. You, you would think it would do the opposite. So you're low on sodium and you're losing it. No, the body does the opposite. It shuts off the aldosterone to preserve salt. And what it does then, which is interesting enough, because salt is an electrolyte and also creates viscosity in the muscle, like it, it's basically a vascular dilator which relaxes the muscle, it needs liquid, right? So it pulls the liquid out of other organs to do this. All right? Yeah. So now your other organs are struggling. So one of the organs that it pulls from is your brain. So you get dehydrated and you go, man, I'm not feeling well because you're lacking the potassium which controls the sodium. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so where do we go from here, Bart? We're in four days. How many days do you think uh, Conrad should go? If you okay, so it? originally we were going to set up uh, for 10 days. Right. But in all honesty, don't put a limit onto it. Yeah. I have done before with a, a guy, I think I mentioned to you, he was 190 kilos. And we, did, uh, we were going to do a seven-day fast. And we ended up doing 31. And during that time, he had dropped 60 pounds. Yeah, yeah that, that's the amount of weight. Because you've got to remember, the, the fatter you are, the more fat oxidization you have. Yeah. It's the leaner you are. You, you, you would know this for, to, to be true because as we get leaner for a contest, as soon as we hit that single digits, right, we start cheating more. We have to have more refeeds. Yeah. You would think you have to do the opposite, right? Whenever I have an athlete who's hit the set point where he's not changing it anymore... Most athletes, they'll go into panic mode and they go, I need to do more cardio, I have to eat less. In actuality, the best thing you could do is do the opposite, like take cardio out for a while or tell the guy, I want you to eat twice as much carbohydrates or fats today. Get the body de-stressed, right? Because you've got to think what fat is to the body. It's like money to the bank, right? So while you've got a job, you're putting away the money and the bank manager is really happy. He's like, hey, I see all this money coming in. I'm happy. Yeah, you make some withdrawals, but it's okay. You've, you've always got enough there for a rainy day. But what happens if you lose your job? Now you're only making withdrawals. Now I'm the bank manager. I care about my clients. I see you constantly coming to the bank withdrawing money. That's you on a diet, constantly going there to take fat. Now if you've got lots of money or lots of fat, the bank manager goes, your money, go for it. But now imagine if you get down to the point now, Here's something you've got to think that's super interesting. We are creatures of habit. We brush our teeth the same way. We put our shoes on the same way. We don't go sock, shoe, sock, shoe. We go sock, sock, shoe, shoe. If we go circles, we don't do strokes. Imagine if you do strokes and I tell you tomorrow to do circles. You have to think about this. Oh, I said, no, circles. No, circles. Mm -hmm. Then that habit breaks. Now you've got a new habit. So the bag manager sees you constantly coming in and he gets the calculator and he goes, he's been withdrawing this and he's only got this much. He starts calculating and he goes, He's only got enough money for it till the end of the month. So the bank manager starts putting protocols in place to slow you down. You come in to make a withdrawal and he goes, hey, listen, um, it's not me, it's management. You need to fill out all these forms now. It's slowing you down to get to that money. But you, you go, all right, I'm persistent. Like you, you add more cardio. So it says, all right, you still keep going to the bank and the money keeps going down. The bank manager's going, 
Shit, uh, you know what? I'm going to change the opening hours. What time do you finish work? Five o'clock. Oh man, we close at four now. It's doing everything to stop you from doing this. Now, imagine if you one day just walk back to the bank with a cash flow of money. The bank manager goes, oh, hey, we've got a deposit again. All right, so I just thought you were making withdrawals because during my calculations, you had enough till the end of the month. But because of this, guess what? We're going to open till five now. We, you know, we don't need to have all this procedure in place. The, the manager relaxes and so does your body. So when you reach that set point, now we're talking about your body fat is sitting there, you know, the 9%. We're not talking 19%, <laughs> you know, because you're like 19%. Oh, yeah, I could feed more. No, so the leaner you get, we start actually feeding or doing more refeeds. And this is why something like carb cycling is so great because you have days where you take it away and there are days where you give more. So carb cycling becomes super effective that way. So let's use me as an example. So let's say Conrad's 35% fat. Mm. Let's say I'm like 90% fat. Well, I wouldn't put you on a fast at all. Oh, you wouldn't even, as a bodybuilder, you wouldn't fast if you're under 10% body fat. No, no, because like I said, when, you're, when you've got a BMI of say 15 plus, 95, 96% of fat oxidization, and it's a very small minute of protein oxidization. But when you get lower and lower and lower, because you have less fat, the body sees that way more important than muscle. And he says, you know what? Let's just burn more protein now. So it literally shifts to a 70-30. So it starts, it will literally start to eat muscle away. It has no choice. Yeah. Okay? Even with the resistance training that you're doing, it just cannot keep up because it starts to protect the fat more than the muscle. It understands that muscle is the, the primary mover, but without fat, what can it move? So the body says, let me just, so it tries to, it's like, you know when you get into, in your car and you're almost out of gas, so you slow down your speed. You know, you're sitting on 100, you go, going, oh shit, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So you back it off to 50. So you try to last longer with that fuel. So you become less effective. So if you are super lean, your body is going to run at 30%. You know what I mean? So fasting wouldn't work for you. And I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. I have seen guys where they got an athlete and they're just not shifting weight and they go, all right, we're going to do a weekend fast. And sometimes it works, but in most cases it doesn't. Because what I then see is cortisol coming into gear. Mm -hmm. Because your, your adrenals are going up even higher. You're already lean, so the adrenals and GH are already working overtime. You're, you're, you're pushing your body through high stress, through a lot of cardio, a lot of weight training. So you've got to imagine the amount of stress that the body's underneath. And the way the body copes with stress is with cortisol. So as the cortisol goes up, what is it doing? Its job is to literally tell the liver or the body to make more glucose. Yeah. And then what happens is in the presence of insulin, you cannot burn fat. Because the second there's glucose, it needs to be driven to the muscle. Right? So insulin gets released. Now the only way the body can turn uh, fats into, say, energy, it needs hormone-sensitive lipase. In other words, uh, in the presence of no insulin, glucagon gets released and it can go into the cell and break the fatty acids apart into glycerol and they can put that back in the blood but in the presence of insulin it cannot do that so if your cortisol is up your insulin's up guaranteed this is why people have non-fatty uh, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease because their cortisol is constantly up driving sugar and then what do you get hyperinsulinemia and what's hyperinsulinemia insulin resistance well, amazing. I think in future episodes, we're going to talk more about advanced bodybuilding dieting strategies, like how close we can get to fasting, carb cycling, and the ketogenic diet for bodybuilding purposes. I think this concludes uh, the podcast on, on fasting for extreme fat loss. 
And in future episodes, of course, we're going to talk a lot more about the chemistry involved in advanced bodybuilding, building muscle and burning fast as fast, fast as humanly possible. Be swell and swole, friends of freedom, pioneers of human evolution.